0: Come on, give it up for Stephanie and the team, I mean, right? Come on. Some of you are like, all right, we're going to have church today. We're going to have church, all right. Well, listen, I want to welcome everybody that is joining us right now. Come on, put your hands together for City First Anywhere, Cape Coral, Florida. God Behind Bars, we love you guys. Everybody on the Pano app, we are so excited that you are here and uh, man, what a great weekend! We had original in the last uh, 48 hours here, and then we're finishing off the weekend with uh, with church. and And I just want to say, there's no greater place that you could be than in church. And I'm glad you're here. We're in this uh, series called Love Songs and Lies, and we are talking about relationships. Last week, we talked about how to have a healthy relationship based upon commitment, not just chemistry, all right? And, and this week, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about how we can respect ourselves and respect other people in this highly sexualized society, all right? Uh, nowadays, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about how you need to love yourself, you need to respect yourself, and you need to love others and respect others. And here's my question today, Why? why should we respect ourselves why should we love ourselves why should we respect others and love others you know to know the value of something you have to do a few things first of all you got to find out why it was created you need to find out how it was created and you need to find out what the purpose that that thing has or that person has when it was created so you got to find these things out to be able to determine value to determine value. Now, if you don't believe in a creator God, I personally think it's very hard to answer those questions because we believe in a creator God that gives value, that intentionally designed us. And if you want to find out the reason why you should respect yourself or others, you need to go very back to the beginning of time and in the Christian faith, you gotta go back to the book of Genesis, all right? That's the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse one, very verse. verse, it says this, in the beginning, what's that word? God, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, if you're a part of the Christian faith, we believe there was a creator God, a God who intentionally created not just the plants, the animals, the sun, the moon, the stars, but also each and every one of us. Do you know that every faith, every religion has a creation story? In other words, every faith has to describe why and how we were created, like everything we see right now. Now, now, if you're part of the atheist faith, and by the way, that is a faith. A lot of times people go, oh, I don't have faith, I'm an atheist. Well, no, that's actually a faith, all right, because it's a belief system. If you're a part of the atheist faith, you believe that the creation story, your creation story, is evolution or the Big Bang Theory. Like billions of years ago, we were, you know, pond scum or whatever, and two things kind of collided and there was a sizzle and and after billions of years, evolution took place and we are where we are today. If you're a Buddhist um buddhists don't necessarily believe in a creator god but they actually believe the universe was has always been and always will be and it's constantly evolving and morphing and we are just in this process this cycle of morphing that's what a a a buddhist believes or a hindu if you're a hindu you believe um possibly one or two creation stories there's a primeval one who became bored and split itself into various forms and manifestations. And now we are here. The world came into existence because of those, those, those manifestations and that splitting from the primeval one. Um, I'm not doing any of these religions justice, by the way. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. There's, there's a lot of more intricacies to it. But, but I'd say this. Even if you were to go back in time to Roman and Greek mythology they believe that the origin of the universe started with a god by the name of chaos (laughs) ironic huh and uh, chaos birthed other gods and eventually everything came into being you sit there and you say okay what's your point with this this is my point in every other creation story except christianity matter didn't matter in other words it just evolved Matter, us, you, me, the universe, plants, animals, really doesn't matter because it just evolved. There's no intentional design. It just happened. So matter doesn't matter. It was an explosion, a spark, chance, or whatever. And in ancient days, they even believed that the gods... We're perturbed with the humans. Like when the humans actually came into being, the gods were like angry many times at the humans and would play with them like toys. They were an annoyance to the gods. But you got to understand this. If matter doesn't matter, then how you live doesn't matter. And so that's why I'm starting here. Because everything I'm going to talk about today, I believe that matter matters, I believe that there was a God that intentionally created you and I and everything in this world. So therefore, we got to understand that we got to go back to the beginning. But if you don't believe that, if you're like, you know what, I don't believe in your God, I don't believe in Jesus, I believe, you know, in science, I believe in, in evolution, I believe in, what? well, then okay, then, then really matter then doesn't matter, and you can live any way that you want to. There's no purpose, there's no reason in life, because purpose Has to come from a higher power right you don't determine your own purpose your value is assigned to you if you believe in a creator God that we believe in Christianity that God had great intentionality in fact the Bible even says that he knew you when you were in your mother's womb I say this all the time there are there are accidental parents but there are no accidental kids so therefore in your mother's womb our god created you and loves you and wants to have a relationship with you this sets christianity apart so for a christian god says we matter therefore how we live matters matters to god matters to us and matters to others i grew up in church and um, that doesn't mean I was always a Christ follower. I just kind of many times got drugged to church. And, and I grew up in church. And I remember not hearing really anything about, about sex until I got into, like, youth group. And then um, there was this constant, like, like theme that, that for sex you were to wait until you were married before you had any sort of sexual activity with someone else. And, and they actually had this kind of like um, club, it was called True Love Weights. Now, back before I met Jesus, I was a little bit sarcastic, all right, just a little. Um, I was a little snarky, as they, they would say in England. And, uh, and so my friend and I, when they had formed the True Love Weights Club, I formed the Why Wait Club. You know what I mean? We thought that would be kind of a fun thing to do. <laughs> But here's what I found out. I found out that growing up in church, there was always kind of a stance when it came to sex that sex is bad, sex is dirty, sex is gross. That's why you should wait until marriage. Oh, that's inspirational. <laughs> you know, in culture though, in culture, we can't stop talking about sex. In fact, sex sells. It sells cars, uh, it sells, you know, clothing sells beer, <laughs> sells all kinds of things, right? And, and, and here's the thing. The only time that the church ever talks about sex is usually when it talks about what it's against. But today, City First, even if it's your first time here, I love our church enough that today I want to talk about it from a different angle. I want to talk about the fact that God actually created intimacy and he designed us to function in a certain way And you know what? He has a lot to say when it comes to his creation because again, matter matters to God. He created it. There's a purpose behind it. The God of the universe created intimacy and love and sex. So we're gonna take a look at God's word and we're gonna look at these areas to give us some direction you could say you know in our culture many times sex and love are used interchangeably but really they're exclusive because you can have sex without love or you can have sex with love so along comes the bible right and uh, especially some of you that maybe are a little bit maybe uh uh, you know, cynical uh, against the Bible and maybe the teachings about sex and things like that. Along comes the Bible and it looks super narrow-minded. It looks super archaic. It looks prudish. It looks, it looks Puritan. And, and, and we look at these, like, instructions that come from the Bible and we're really like, today in 2023, it's like, really? I mean, really? Is that the way we're supposed to live? So let me, let me go back for a moment. Let me go back to the first century to when Jesus was alive for a second. Let me paint for you the context in which Jesus was born. He was born in the Middle East and he was born into an area of the world that was ruled by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the force of the day and and really there was a a cultural belief about men and women. Um, As it pertained to men and women, the Romans really, um, really put a high value on men and a lesser value on women. For the most part, uh, prostitution was legal and it was encouraged. Uh, Men would own slaves, both male and female slaves, and they could use the slaves any way that they wanted to. Not just for labor, but also sexually. Also, kids were many times looked at in the Roman Empire as somewhat of a burden, unless they were male. If it was a male baby, that was awesome and celebrated. If it was a female baby, maybe it was celebrated. And here's the reason why, is because back then, a lot of times kids were looked at as as kind of like another mouth to feed or to continue the legacy or to be an heir of the family. Well, men were then, in a sense, put on a pedestal. In fact, I'm not trying to just be crass here, but Many times and sometimes in Roman history, if you had a female baby, you didn't want that baby. You would actually take and discard the baby onto the street or throw it into the river. This was not like it happened once or twice. This was somewhat common. And, and you know what? Roman men would use um, prostitutes as birth control. And in uh, Roman law, men could only have one wife, but it was well known, especially those that were in the elite class, they would have one wife, but they'd have many mistresses. And if you were a woman, you were a second class citizen in Roman times, many times reduced down to a a sex object or a person who would do labor around the house. And so if you were a female, we look now in America, and we're like, well, wait a minute. You know, we look at a male, we look at a female, we look at this, and we're trying to elevate and create equality and things like that. That was not the way it was in Jesus' day. Do you even know that a woman's testimony in a court of law could be thrown out just purely because of her gender? Like, like she could give a testimony about, about being raped or whatever else, and, and, and you know what, the... the, the uh, the court could just throw it out because she was a woman and her word did not, did not hold water, you could say. As a woman, if you were lucky enough to be a part of the elite class, you maybe had money, but it was still a patriarchal man's world. Then Jesus is born, the Son of God. And um, he starts teaching things that are so scandalous, so counterculture. That people, in, especially in the Roman culture, didn't know what to do with it. In fact, in, in the book of John, chapter 13, verse 34, it says this. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, he's saying. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other for your love for one another now he's talking to his his followers will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, he's saying this to his disciples, his followers, he's like the way that you're going to love each other is going to stick out like a sore thumb. This culture is not going to know what to do with it. You see nowadays, you go to like, you know, you go to Walgreens and you go to like the card section and it's like love, 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 love. Okay, where did this come from? Where did this this righteous thought that we should love people. Where did this come from? Because look back in antiquities, you don't see it until Jesus comes along. You don't see it until Jesus comes. And this is what I look nowadays and I think. I think nowadays it's like people are talking so much about love, but I, I wanna ask them, where do they get that thought or that moral code? Where do they get it from? You see, you have to travel back to Jesus to see that. A lot of people nowadays are talking about love. They're just plagiarizing Jesus. They're using his material and not giving him credit. So the Roman world started to take notice of these Christ followers that were loving each other that they would love each other with a pure love, not a lustful love. It wasn't a love that took advantage of. It wasn't just you know, a sexually driven love, but they actually cared and loved for each other. You know, even in the Jewish Jewish community, now listen, the Jewish community in Jesus' day, they were light years ahead of the Romans. They had a moral code and a value system that was based upon the Old Testament and the Torah and things like that. But even in Jewish culture, it was chauvinistic. It was to a degree. The men were elevated above the women. In fact, in John chapter 8, there's a story where the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, brought this woman before Jesus and threw, him, threw her excuse me, down in front of Jesus and said this, said, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says uh, that we're to stone her, in other words, to execute her. What do you say? Now, now, when you read this story, some of you have heard this story before, there's, there's something missing. You know what's missing? It takes two to tango the last time I talked about adultery or research adultery. Two, two, two to tango, right? So, so why is it the woman is brought before Jesus? Where's the man? Where's the man? See, see again, this, this points to the culture of that day. And, and, and here's the thing, Jesus famously now, we, we read in the scripture, he, he stoops down and he, he writes in the dust, he writes in the sand something, we don't know what he wrote, but one by one, all the Jewish leaders and the accusers began to walk away because of what he was writing. We don't know what it was. And at that moment then, once all of them have, have dismissed themselves, the woman is left by herself In front of jesus and and jesus looks at her and says where are your accusers didn't even one of them stick around to condemn you and she says no lord they're all gone and and jesus says i don't condemn you either now go and sin no more in other words listen i'm not going to condemn you but change your life all right, and, and you know what, this, this, we look at this and we're like, that is so awesome, but this is the point I want to make. In Jesus' day, Jewish men didn't talk to women caught in adultery like that. Rabbis never talked to women caught in adultery like that. Like this, this is so flipping the script. And, and we look at it now and we're like, yes, but listen, Jesus comes along and he's like, love one another, not as predator and prey. But love each other based upon a value because matter matters. That everyone was created imago Dei, which means in the image of God. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul writes this later. Paul is, you know, this this apostle. He's planting churches. Most of the New Testament, the books in the New Testament are written by him. They were originally letters. This is a letter. It says this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Therefore, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. So he's saying, hey, listen, I know what Roman culture is doing right now, but as a Christ follower, this is the thing. You are to not give in to that kind of activity. He goes on to say this later on. He goes, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her whoa wait a minute paul now is saying something that's so culturally upside down he's saying husbands you need to be willing to even give your life for your wife now 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 we look at that now and we're like yeah we've seen movies about this no 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 listen that was not the way it was in roman culture men were not that dedicated for the most part to their wives this is a powerful principle. Men would treat women with respect and not just a commodity or for pleasure. And then also, Paul writes this. He writes this in the same passage. He says, listen, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, you hear that a lot in a lot of patriarchal, like, like you know, arenas. You're like, yes, wives, submit. Like, I try to use that verse on Jen. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I don't know. Everybody quotes that verse, but they don't understand that if you go back further into the passage, Paul is writing this. He's saying men and women mutually submit to one another. And then he's like talking to the women, and he's talking to the men. There is a mutual submission to each other. Why do you mutually submit? Because matter matters. And the person that you married is made in the image of God. So therefore, matter matters. You treat each other like Jesus says. Love each other just as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Willing to die. Willing to lay down your life. Now, most of us will not have to come to a circumstance. We have to actually choose to lay down our life for a, another person. But but you know what? How about if we lay down our preferences? How about if we lay down like our our rights of what we think we should get? But rather instead, we're like, hey, listen, I I want you, I want your life to win. Do you know what happens in with two people make it a priority to make the other person's life win? Everybody wins. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus is saying here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is writing a church in Corinth. Now, now the church in Corinth is kind of a, it's a little bit of a messed up church. Um, Because because a lot of the people who are in this church, they before were not... raised in a Jewish tradition. They weren't even Jewish by race. Um, They they were raised in more of a pagan, Roman, or even Greek kind of tradition. So they they had no idea about Christian values, what we now call Christian values. And uh, in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, actually there was a temple there to Aphrodite. Uh, She was a goddess of of love and sex and beauty um, that the Romans and the Greeks believed in. They built this huge temple. In fact, at one point, there were 1,000 prostitutes that were at, on, hired at that temple, and the way you'd worship is what you would imagine, all right? That's how you would go to worship there. Now, this is not the Christian temple. This was a pagan temple, but it's right in the middle of the city. In fact, people from all over the area, it was like Vegas, you know? It, it, it was like, you know, when you go to Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas until it hits Facebook, right? So, so here's the thing. People would travel there to go to this temple of Aphrodite. And, and then this little like, church, this Christian church, Jesus church, like starts to evolve there and springs up. And uh, they, they're surrounded by all this sexual immorality. And, and even some people in the church took it a little bit further than even what God commands. They were like this. They were like, we shouldn't have sex at all. Even, even in marriage, like, like there should be no sex Like They started to preach that. Don't have sex. Even if you're married, don't have sex. So what's Paul doing? Paul writes this letter, and he's like, whoa, 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 Turbo, slow down, all right? He's like, now, for the matters you wrote about. So they had contacted him. Quoting them, he says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. So he's he's approaching this wrong theology. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have the authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do you see the mutual submission here, by the way? Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time. So in other words, it's like, not tonight. And both agree, okay, great, great. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. (laughs) Not tonight, we're going to (laughs) pray. Whenever I say that to Jen, she's like, yeah, and I'll lay hands on you. No, whoa, okay, hold on. Hold on. Too far. TMI. All right. Then Paul says, then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, "Listen, listen, mutually submit, value each other. Why is this such a big deal in God's eyes? Why is this such a big deal? I mean, it doesn't seem a little bit prudish, you know, in some ways. It's like, oh, you look at culture right now and everything that they say about sex, and and then you look at the Bible and you're like going, ah, that's so narrow, so narrow. But here, 1 Corinthians chapter six, again, he's writing the Corinth church. He said, should a man take his body which is a part of Christ, in other words, when we get saved, when we give our life to Jesus, it's like we are purchased because of the cross, the work of the cross. Jesus, in a sense, he did the work of the cross. He rose again. He goes, now I, I purchase you in love. I save you, okay? I save you. Heaven is home someday. And so Paul says, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute he becomes one body with her in other words he's he's focusing sex makes two into one for the scripture says the two are united into one I'm going to have some friends come up and join me here but you know what sex unifies sex is more than just a physical activity sex it invokes feelings and emotions it, it ties together souls, if we're going to be really honest. You know that word join in the original language, it means to unify, to stick like glue. So stick like glue. So, um, you know, like I have duct tape here, and, uh, and you know, duct tape is, uh, is, is, is a magical thing because uh, you could use it to fix all kinds of stuff, right? But Let's just pretend for a moment that this duct tape, this is your sexual activity. These are your sexual choices, this duct tape. And if uh, you go and, you know, you, you bond with somebody and, you, you know, you stick with them Friday night, you know, hanging out and stuff like that, and then, and then after a while, you know what, you decide that you're going to go to somebody else and, and you stick to them, right? And then after that, you know, a couple months later, uh, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to stick... To another person. Do you know what I'm doing too? Is, is by the way, um, this is becoming less sticky, and also parts of other people's heart and soul are being transferred because okay, and 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 here you you know, you do it again and you do it again, and then pretty soon the stickiness loses its sticky. <laughs> and every time that you do it, it just becomes less and less sticky when you engage two become one and then that one tears apart and tries to become two whole things again and then you do it again you do it again you do it again and and here's the thing this is what i know i know that sex is way more than just something that we physically do our hearts are involved give these guys a round of applause as they go ahead and have a seat our souls are involved So Paul, he goes on to write at Corinth, he's like, run from sexual sin. Why? Why, Paul? Because you're a killjoy? No. What does he say? No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Why? Because it affects the soul, your heart. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body. Why? Because matter matters. We believe that we're just not, we didn't just evolve somewhere. If, if you believe that you just evolved, then you know what, then, then do whatever you want with your body. But if you were designed for a purpose, and with a purpose, then we conduct ourselves differently. In fact, what is Paul driving at? For those of you that are married and those of you that someday want to be married, I want you to hear this. Romance in marriage is fueled by exclusivity. It's not, it's not, by, it's not by just, you know, do whatever you want. It's like, no, I am saying, till death do us part, and I'm saying you only. You see, that actually fuels romance. Some might say, well, you know, sexual activity is not a sin. I mean, you know, hookup culture, Friday nights, the bars, whatever, you know. Uh, Someday I'll settle down. I'll settle down someday. To that I would say this. It's really hard to live like a Roman and in one day lose all the baggage. It really is. A marriage altar is not a magic place. You don't just all of a sudden, it's not like, you know, men in black stare into the, you know, you know. Some of you need to watch the movie to get that. But anyway... And somebody might go, well, how about pornography? Is pornography really that bad? You know, like OnlyFans. Is that a bad thing? I mean, really? Well, every time that you engage in pornography, you're being educated and you're learning, and here's what you're learning: you're learning that a real body is not good enough. You're also learning that one body is not good enough. And lastly, you're learning that eventually your spouse's body is not good enough. All that baggage doesn't just disappear. At the marriage altar. Doesn't happen. See, if you don't matter, if matter doesn't matter, then do what you want, man. I mean, you know, primal instinct. Do what you want. But if matter does matter, like if there really is a creation and there really is a creator God, then you matter and that means that your choices matter in fact God even says this above that other people matter so not only do you matter but other people matter what is the story that you want to tell someday about your choices with your body what do you want to tell your future spouse what do you want to tell your kids what do you want to tell your friends or what do your friends what do you want them to say about you you know the song of Solomon it says this it says uh, promise me do not awaken love until the time is right. So, what do you do if you've woken it too early? See, I did this um, this illustration with the tape, and gosh, some of you are like going, "I feel kind of shameful," and that's me. <laughs> I, I feel I feel really heavy right now because that's me. What do you do when you awaken, you know, love too early? well can i tell you something if you've done that um you are most likely with the majority of people that are watching today because most people statistically speaking have so what do you do what do you do when the tape has lost its stickiness well i want to just end in the last couple minutes with you here um my story is is that I remember I lived a certain way. Remember I formed that little club and wasn't you know kind of an idiot. <laughs> I didn't care so much about other people. I just cared about me. I had many, many broken relationships prior to coming to Jesus and um, a lot of hurt and a lot of lost stickiness and this is what I know. I remember once I came to Jesus talking to a pastor and I said this to the pastor I said, I am too screwed up to ever get married." in the way that Christians say you should be married and, you know, this picture of marriage that looks like it's on the, you know, Saturday Evening Post, you know, magazine, which most of you don't even know what that is. You know, a Hallmark movie. I'm too screwed up. And I remember that the person said something to me that was really helpful. He said, listen, this is what you need to do. First of all, acknowledge that you did wrong. (laughs) Don't hide it. Say to God, God, I messed up. I didn't do it right. Repent, ask for forgiveness. This is what's so great about our God. There is no sin or no activity that is greater than his forgiveness. And so this person said, just go before God and say, I'm sorry, I want to be different. And then they said this, avoid the scene from this point on. The scene that got you into that in the first place. Don't try to be some moral hero, and go back to the scene, but not do the activity. I was like, okay. And then they said this, they said, ask God to restore you. Because you know what it says in Revelation 21.5? It says this, and he, capital H, meaning it's God, who seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. We serve a God that makes things new. You know what? Takes what's broken, takes what has been damaged and makes it new. He doesn't he doesn't duct tape your life together. He gives you new life because of the work of the cross and the power of resurrection. And I did that. I took that advice. And you know what? Yesterday, Jen stood on the stage and she delivered the final message to a room full of ladies at this location. She'll do the exact same thing in October at our Southwest Florida location. And I sat there and I knew I was going to talk about this today. And I sat there and I thought, how did I get so fortunate? Here's this beautiful, amazing gal who gets up here and is leading a movement. And If you would have time warped me back to 1990 and showed me that, I'd be like, there's no way. I'm too damaged. But that is a testimony of a God who creates and makes all things new. Makes it new. Marriages can be new. Dating relationships can be new. People can be new. I believe in resurrection, dead things coming to life. That's what our God does. So let me encourage you today that whether you find yourself early in life trying to figure out who you're gonna marry, who you're gonna hook up with, who, you know, whatever, that kind of thing, or whether you're later in life and you're married or whatever, do it the way that God designed you to do it, and you will find a life that is truly fulfilling respect yourself you have value respect others they have value respect the God who created you because Jesus says you have great value R-E-S-P-E-C-T let's pray Heavenly Father I thank you that God you are a restorative God you are a God that creates new you are a resurrection God and Lord some of us we've maybe made choices that we shouldn't have done, but in the moment, it made sense, but then it left us feeling empty. God, I pray that today we'd realize, we go back to the beginning, matter matters. You created us with a purpose, for a purpose, and Lord, we want to live a life that matters. I pray a restorative work to people that are damaged today. I pray that God, you would begin a healing work inside of them that even right now by your Holy Spirit, may they realize you love them, they don't have to feel shame, they don't have to feel regret, that you accept them, and as they come to you and they say, God, help me, that Lord, you will create newness into their life. Lord, I pray that City First would The earmark of City First would be that we are a place of healthy relationships, that we love one another just like Jesus, you commanded us to love one another, that the world may know. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, put your hands together, all right?